Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you'll hear from the pioneers and innovators in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, regenerative, profitable and innovative. And we can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Raw Ag, brought to you by Tamania Angus and Ace Radio, is your next big step in that direction. Our guest today on the Raw Ag podcast is Rob Wilde. Rob is the co-founder of Sapien Technology, which brings us amazing software such as Cool Collect, Cool Perform, and lots of cool other things. Welcome to the Raw Ag Podcast, Rob. Where are you at the moment? I'm sitting in my office in the um, livestock uh, capital of Victoria, Ashburton, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Right. Oh, why is it the last? It's not the livestock capital of Victoria, is it? Or just because you're there? No, I keep. Yeah, I'm here. I yeah. keep saying it, hoping it'll stick, but it hasn't stuck yet. Yeah. So um, I remember, I think I first met you at um, a beef uh, field day at Hamilton. What was that called? Sorry, I should know. Uh, beef Beef Expo. Beef Expo in, in Hamilton. Yeah. What, year, what year do you reckon that was? Uh, I'm not too sure. I think it was about 2003 or 2004. Yeah, and you had a little program called Cool Collect. It, it was uh, quite interesting to me because we were trying to work out how to get data gathered from all over the place for progeny test reasons. And there, and you, you sort of had something that was working away? Yeah, well, you know, been watching the development of NLIS fairly closely and um, thought that, uh, collecting data on our own farm would be a useful idea and we'd always done quite a bit of data collection on our uh, family property. Um, the You know, right from the early days of Apple computers, Apple IIs and stuff like that, we'd always collected data um, and we'd been recently collecting a heap of data on steers and cows and tagging calves at birth and all of those sort of things and then Elias tag seemed a really neat way to make it a whole lot easier and not having to write numbers down or type numbers down and yeah. have all of those mistakes occurring. Is it a little bit of a family affair in Elias because your father's John Wild who um, yes. I suppose is the father of Elias is he? He is really. I think he is. Anyway um, so yeah the the um, so you were really keen on collecting data. You you weren't necessarily an, in IT first, though, were you? What did you do when you left school? You what university degree? I did a degree in mechanical engineering. Right. So that's anything that sucks, blows, flows, or goes. Um, <laughs> as, as, the, as they used to say. Right. Yeah. So yes, I I. Uh, did that and was working in the construction industry quite happily for a number of years. Yep. Um, working on all sorts of different projects in Melbourne and in London. Um, yes, and it was when I came back from London, back to Australia and uh, started working in cons- back in construction in Melbourne. I was getting a bit disheartened with the whole scene. Right. Yeah, I'd come. From, I'd come from London, where you know there's a lot of exciting construction going on in different areas, and I was always in the services area. So that's air conditioning, 
plumbing, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, when I came back to Melbourne, the most sort of construction that was going on at the time was flats. So there's only a certain amount of excitement that one can get from a kitchen hood and a toilet extract fan. Um, Fair enough. Whereas, you know, um, you know, working out the water pressure in a skyscraper is quite, quite involved, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, one of my projects in London was a maintenance facility for Concorde. So we were pumping all sorts of different hydraulic fluids around and all sorts of things there. Another project was a natural history museum where we had to build an eight-storey high fridge. Um, so they were all quite quite exciting by comparison. Yeah. So, yes, so got back to Melbourne. Construction seemed fairly boring at the time. Um, so, yes, I went out and bought a book on how to write software. Yeah. So, and so, and then cool products were born really through Sapien. So, what uh, cool, was yes, the, cool with a K. It's not because you're cool with a K because our family farms Coolamert with a K, which yeah. means place of birds in the local dialect. It's not that because you um, thought you were a cool guy and you couldn't actually spell it. <laughs> I always think I'm a cool guy, Tom, but uh, <laughs> I can't spell. Yeah, yeah no worries. Uh, yeah, but I have had to explain that to a few people that thought I was just a bit of a wanker. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. the, uh, yeah, so yes, all all stem from from that. I wrote an Excel program initially called Cool Cattle, um, and then actually bought a book on how to write software and called it Cool Collect because it collected data in the yards. Yeah, uh, and and, uh, so, and and that program's what I saw that day. And then so tell us about yes. the evolution of where you are now because um, you know the products that you're producing are collecting huge numbers of livestock records. So what happened yes. after Cool Collect? And, um, well, it's been, a, it's been a journey, I must say. Um, you know, in the early days of Cool Collect, um, it, you know, we quickly found out a few things. Uh, one is having data uh, stashed on a machine that was um, sitting on farm somewhere was not the best use of that data it needed to get off get off property fairly quickly um so one of our first projects um after cool collect was to build out the uh, online facilities uh and be able to synchronize that data around so that anybody who collected data on farm could shift it off farm into the hands of somebody who could possibly make better use of it um, and then that's it was around uh, the same time, Tom, that you approached us to sort out how you're going to do, you know, team recording, um, how to do the stud side of things because Cool Collect at that stage was very commercial focused. Um, and yes, that's when the the Cool Perform was born. Um, which was all about the performance recording side of things and being able to take that on-farm data collection, marry it up with information you need for breed societies and doing genetic analysis and all those sort of things. So yep. we, um, yes, went from being a very simple uh, data collection tool to then something that could merge and share data around to doing all the stud recording of information. Um, yes, and we've just gone, kept 
building out more and more things. We actually had a, uh, you know, in the early days of NLIS, it was all about trying to solve people's problems who were trying to adopt NLIS, um, and that extended to sale yards and abattoirs. So we've got versions of essentially the same software that, um, um, yeah, run sale yards today um, and, yeah. you know, do live exporters and all sorts of other different parts of the industry. So there was a little time when um, uh, you were managing, help man- helping manager manage investment scheme or doing a rec- recording for um, one of them yep. who had uh, musters of cows, musters of seven cows, yes. and you had to tell us a bit about that because um, I find it, I actually tell it, uh, I, I find that quite fascinating that you had to try and, account didn't you for every, for every, yes. for the revenue and cost of every cow yeah it was uh one of the the, the managed investment schemes needed to record um all the progeny that were being born and allocate them back to their investors um based on which cows were having calves so this was all um done in the Massive Angus herd, um, and then went on to grow into uh, more pastoral areas. So it's really about being able to inventory all the animals that you have on a place and allocate them back to who their uh, investor owners were. Yeah. So and that sort of um, that project because it was being pushed along by that company's necessity to. Um, be audited by the taxation office it, it you know the yep. attention to detail was pretty um, un- incredible wasn't it yeah look there was a lot of intention to you know the record keeping a lot of attention to um how to satisfy what uh information they were collecting to meet their you know their internal requirements um, so yeah so that was the genesis of all of our cloud operating system and database and all of that so uh, for us it was a great opportunity um, to keep building out um, our product suite and we've taken that philosophy you know right through our business where um, we collaborate with our customers who have got problems to solve and build out technology stack to to solve those problems and others at the same time um, rather rather than taking a more modern approach which is to build it and then try and sell it um we we were very much solving people's problems along the way um and never really built anything off our own bat unless we had a customer who was who was pushing us to do it lots of different bits of interface hanging off the same database yes yep and, um, so we got a lot of sort of different things that do different functions, but fundamentally, livestock data is 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 the you know a lot of it's the same for a lot of different businesses in the livestock industry. It's really the only difference is how do you collect it and what do you do with it. Um, but the actual data itself is um, you know fairly common. You know, there's only so many things you can record about an animal. I well, know you, Tom, probably record, push that boundary all the time and what you're recording. Um, I, I installed another a new computer the other day and it had around 9,000 sessions of 
that were being downloaded to um, install the data on it. Nine thousand. Right. So that that that's um, I can't imagine how. Does it make you proud, Tom, that you've 9, been in the yards nine thousand times collecting data? <laughs> yeah, I thought, wow, that's a bit weird. Um, yeah, our record holder is over twenty three thousand. The record holder. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, we'll have to start. They must just do single animal sessions, do they? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no. So. Yeah. So one of the beauties of it is that, um, you know, that hanging different products off, we can get carcass data back and things like that, that um, that was yep. always the real, a real problem. It still is a problem, isn't it? It's difficult in the beef industry. Why is it? Why is yeah, it? look, it's, it is difficult. There's, there's no, you know, there's no standards. There's no, um, you know, everybody's data is different, even though that it's talking about the same thing. Um, you know, people talk about, um, you know, in other, other industries, there's, there's always a, a genuine push to, um, you know, have a common standard so that IT can proliferate. But there doesn't seem to be any organisation in this country who, who's got the nous or the ability to stand up and say, righto, let's set some standards so we can all proliferate hopefully that's changing um so whose responsibility uh, over the next few who's that responsibility would that be you know I, I would have thought mla would have taken a leading position on this um you know it's what the industry needs um so just but, um you know just, no, um, just not just explain it um the complications of having of the problem you know like when you've got fields of information that are all different names and things like that just go into it a bit and explain how difficult it well is. No, nobody really agrees on the, the the correct terminology for anything and different things are called you know the same thing and the same thing are called by different names like for instance what's the sex of an animal now the purist would say it's male and female um, other people would say, well, it's um, it's a bull and a cow and a heifer and a steer. Um, don't get, don't get into bringing... gender identity now. <laughs> humans, <laughs> yeah, it's humans a have, very humans having topic. the same problem, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so it's all it's all of those sort of things where you're forever dealing with a language barrier because people in southern Australia speak differently to those in the north. Um, you know, in the north they talk about breeders, bulls and mickeys and, you know, replacement heifers, joiner heifers, and yeah. that sort of language. In the south you talk about, um, you know, cows, calves, weaners, those sort of things, and they're all describing essentially a the same type of animals. It's just the way that, you know, the, the language is. So even so there's two parts to the problem. One is the the actual dictionary of words and the other is then the digital part of that is how do you move data from one place to another. Um, and there's no standard set anyway. So every time we need to integrate with something, some other digital source, it's its own little um piece of work and it has its own interface that talks in its own unique way and sends its own little unique data. So we communicate, I think our software at last count communicates to, I don't know, 100 
to 150 different external data sources, um, which, you know, range from <clears throat> RFID readers to scales to the NLIS database to, um, you know, all yep. pre-plan, sheep genetics, all of that. Tears, every one tears, of those. Tears, whatever you, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Every one of those is unique. Um, so even if it takes you a week to build it, there's 100 weeks to 200 weeks of work just in interfacing the stuff you need to interface with. So it creates a huge problem that every time you go to do something, you just got this overhead and hurdles to jump of how do we integrate with this or that. Yeah, so and it costs money. It's one of the and slows everything. Down. Costs a costs a lot of money and slows everything down. Yeah, and probably causes inaccuracies too, because invariably when yes. something's that complicated and perhaps someone doesn't quite know what they're doing, they match the wrong field header to the wrong field header. You know, you yep. see, we see that with whether it's the programmer that's done it or the user that's done it. Yeah, you know, it's yep. the mistakes. Mistakes are made. Yep. So yeah. Well, I noticed uh, just last year, so mani- uh, animal ID um, comes up as, you know, um, management tag, animal ID um, tag even. And just last year, I noticed there's a new one called Beast ID that came out of the Angus Society. I mean, do people right. do actually people sit down and see if they can think of a new one, do you think? Yes. Well, I think, you know, it's the... Um the um, it's the sort of the IT professionals, you know, pastime is coming up, coming up with words for something that mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> the, um, you know, we're we're fantastic at it. We'll yeah. create words that nobody's ever heard of before, and they all mean something to us, but mean nothing to anybody who's got a practical bone in their body. So. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's it's hard to manage. It's hard to maintain, and you know, in the industry at the moment, it's really difficult. So, Rob, what do we get out of the other end of collecting data? Well, hopefully, you get informed reports, um, which is and being able to make smarter decisions about animals. So, and this is you know one of, one of the things that we're constantly. Uh, trying to do better and I don't think we have um, I was going to say done as good as we can I think we've always done very well um, but I think there's a lot of improvement to go in that space Um, so it's really down to decisions and us being able to understand that decision matrix that people have and giving them the information that they need and every different type of business has a different decision matrix you know, stud breeders are different to commercial breeders, different to pastoralists, different to sheep, different to feedlotters. So there's a whole heap of different factors at play in the industry that determines, you know, what people think is a good animal or a bad animal. Yeah. And obviously environments come into that as well. There's another overlay completely to Yes, it's another overlay. Those, all of those factors by two or three or yes. four, depending on the environment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it takes a long time and takes a lot of interaction with people to really try and understand what how their business ticks. So um, you've also got into procurement management. And yes. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing in that field? Yeah, the <clears throat> the um, we've been managing um, uh, well 
building software for coal supermarkets for five or six years now, which helps them manage their procurement processes. So that um, is really about who are they buying, who from, when, where are they going, what price, uh, and all those sort of things. So um, that was software they commissioned us to write. Um, and I was very um, hopeful at the time that we get the gig and pretty pretty, um, pretty pleased when we did get the gig because I felt as though that we had a lot, lot lot to lot to offer um and we've been doing that i think we rolled that out in 2016 2017 something like that um and we've been building that out ever since and we now do a fully nvd system with um carcass feedback um direct to the vendor so um yeah it's a very very neat solution yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff. That's, um, you know, what I suppose, um, you know, we've been talking about in the industry to sort out, and one company is doing it pretty well. Yeah, and look, and I think, again, it's really, we haven't gone in there saying we've got we've got the solution for all your problems. Um, it's been an approach that's been very much the other way around. They describe a problem to us, and we arrive at a solution to solve that problem. And I think that's, you know, really, um, you know, just exemplifies this, the approach that we've taken all the time is that we like to understand what the problems are, where the pain points are, and then arrive at a solution um, that solves that. So Coles Bio, you know, buying a wave, is, opera, is looking at a, a piece of electronic equipment that's... Yeah, he's got, they, they use either an iPad... Uh, typically, they'd use an iPad. They record who they're buying cattle from, where from, um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, then a Coles vendor has a has a has an app that sits on their phone. They um, know when when their bookings are, what their deliveries are for, um, and on the day of delivery, they fill out all their ENVD questions, their other declaration questions. So based on what the buyers put in at their end, the vendor gets asked all the relevant questions to satisfy the Coles brand requirements. So it could be going into several different Coles brands. Um, so the vendors get asked the right questions. They then submit it all off and goes through to the their processing partners. And then when they get all the kill data, that's all fed back to, to the vendor. So... It's um, been nice, you know, all done through a nice uh, phone app. So, yeah, it's a very neat solution. And uh, you're doing a bit of work up north as well? Yeah, look, we're doing lots of work with pastoralists in the um, north of Australia. And that's a very exciting area, completely different challenges that they're facing um, in terms of the environment that they're working in. Uh, the people that they have, uh, training, um, you know, what they want to get out of it and all those sort of things. So we're, we've been doing a lot of work up there for, I would say, four, five, six, seven years. Um, yes, and it's still an evolving space in terms of 
what they can collect, what's practical, what's reasonable and what they aim to get out of it. Um, so, so what sort yeah. of things are you solving for them? I mean, you, you, it's all very well they come along well, and pay you a royalty to solve a problem. What sort of problems? Well, it's, re- it's really um, understanding inventory and optimising your female herd, uh, probably the two, the two overarching problems there. So first of all, people want to get a handle on how many animals they have, uh, which is, you know, difficult for them. They can't, they, you know, traditionally they do what's called a bank tail muster where they cut the hair off the tail and then go out afterwards and, you know, make sure that did I, did I count everything by looking at the, you know, who's got the short tails, who's got the long tails, and they go out to a paddock and go, ooh, we missed a few, so maybe I've got a few more than what I, what I brought through the yards or no, everything looks, you know, so they're always sort of trying to guess at how many animals they have. I think we had one case where we had a customer who thought they had really good mustering team and 5,000 head and after two musters we counted 8,000 RFIDs. So the, um, you know, their inventory was completely different to what they thought it was. So so that's, that's first thing, inventory. down south, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's completely different problems we're trying to solve. And then um, I suppose you're attaching wet and dry and, and preg test results. Yeah, so yeah, so the the other part is obviously optimising the the retained females. So you don't want to keep anything that's not breeding. And how do you know it's not breeding? Well, you look at its udder, um, and if it's wet and dry, but you can't at any single point in time go, well, she's dry, she's gone, because they're on a continuous breeding cycle. You need to know, well, if I see it two or three times in a row and she's dry, then she's got to go. So that's where the electronic tag really just allows you to compile that data together, Um, whereas before, to do that, you would have been doing it with visually readable tags, which is very impractical, and so therefore it never happened. So... Yes, and I always talk in terms of females, I always talk about optimisation um, because it's really about saying, well, I've got so many replacements that I can bring in and I've got so many that I can cull out. How do I optimise those two decisions to get the to get the best cattle? Sometimes people confuse it with improving genetics, but it's not really about that. It's an optimisation strategy. So um, you were at Team Tamania's Sustainable Beef Workshop last week and um, and I think one of the catch cries that came out of it was um, not all cows are equal, which um, <laughs> yeah. because statistically, yeah. you know, whenever environmental stats are being done, a cow's a cow's a cow, so you can't, re- it's very diff- yes. difficult to do gross assumptions and have individual comparison, individual ID, individual variation, but we know that um, you know, in livestock, methane output, for instance, can almost be half half as much in some stock, in the very best to the very worst. Um, yes. And so to really get an idea of how we're going to genetically change methane output, we need to do some recording. Um, yes, we need to map that variation and try and attribute to either the genetics or the environment or something. Yeah. So, you know, accounting so it's all, and measuring and yeah. knowing which animals which is very important in that um, 
framework. You, do you think that uh, um, you can see Sapien doing work where they take information forward to the consumer? Yeah, I'm just trying to think how you would... Obviously, the individual animal records are paramount. Um, at the at the moment, with um, all of the all the carbon accounting space seems to be um, all about how do you generalise and how do you approximate and how do you do all of this uh, in a very sort of non-specific way. Um, so, from an individual animal point of view, if we can map out, you know, the variation in individual animals and map out also their productivity and time to reach, you know, market specifications, then um, there's potentially an opportunity there to, um, you know, talk in terms of carbon farming at an individual animal level. Yeah, and that's... I don't, I don't know how, how that would be perceived by consumers or how you would turn that into a brand or anything like that. Um, but, you know, if people are serious about it, they need to start mapping it at an individual animal level and not make gross assumptions because there is a lot of variation there. Yeah. You know, carcass feedback is very important to our business and it's, you know, should be being more... Um, what's the word, you know, easily collected or naturally or um, organically collected, is that what you say, um, across our industry? What are the problems there? Well, uh, yeah, there's a whole whole heap of problems. Um, We've already talked about the field, you know, the actual data, but there's more problems than that, aren't there? There's other issues. Yeah, well, it's really about how do you, you know, what are you, what are you trying to influence? Um, you know, when when you're a stud breeder, um, you're obviously trying to influence uh, breeding decisions that you made five or six years earlier, um, and you're trying to influence your your next breeding decisions. Um, when you when you're talking about eating quality and marbling and all of those sort of things. So, a, a the issue there is that the decision that you're evaluating with carcass data, you know, happened many, many, many years ago from the point of a stud breed. So, it's a, it takes a long time to drive change. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, it, it, the issue though that we find is that it just it just doesn't naturally flow back. You know, like it. Um, and I know that you've set up really good systems once the intent yeah. from the actual. Um, supplier of the data it, it wants to supply it you can do it but you know without the will yep. there's, there's there's no point in setting up a system is there yeah well yeah and look it's still you know we got to go and get it we got to go and find it ask for it plead for it get it um, then try and work out what it is that we got um, stick it into the right pigeon holes and go and get it you know evaluated by someone yeah so, I mean, the, we can, we can you know, work the, out, you know, basically, you know, the, the food, the system does have a traceback system. You've, we can, on batch basis, we can work out where the foods come from for biosecurity reasons and for, animal, for human health reasons. But on an individual yep. basis, um, we can't find... Well, the carcass, the carcass data is not available to mud punters, you know, who are commercial breeders on the street. You know, they can't 
go and download it. And software integrators like ourselves, we can't go and touch an API and go and download Carcass data. It's all got to be done by whoever, who's, um, you know, they've got to go and log into a website somewhere and go and look at their Carcass data. Then they can extract a file out and then they can go and download that file and then they can, you know, try and interpret that file. Uh, it's all too hard. You know, the, the, the data needs to be available seamlessly so that on-farm software providers such as ourselves, you can hit a button and it just goes and says, go and get from, you know, the central repository of Carcass data that's in the cloud and marshaled by MLA or ISC yeah. and go and download all the data and line it up to all your own breeding records. Like um, um, individual credit ratio, credit agencies can give every human or every Australian uh, a yeah. credit rating from yeah. one to a thousand. Um, yeah. They're just drawing data all these, out of public all, facilities. There's all these manual processes. So you know, why it's all while it's all manual, it's hard. So so there's those aspects where you, you've got you just can't get at the information readily, and then once you do get at it. Um, how do you interpret it? And this is one of the things we really had to think long and hard with, with the even with the Coles data set. Well, how do we how do we interpret this information? Because you don't want to compare animals processed in April to animals processed in November, because you know there could be all sorts of reasons in terms of the the makeup of the cohort and the you know who who was in it. And were there any other seasonal effects or environmental effects that could affect the outcome? Yeah. So, um, well, so really, it's really hard to... Well, one way to yeah. do it is to clean it back to a genotypic basis, but then you've got to know a whole lot more information. Yeah, then you've got to know, you know, and you've got, to, you've got to think as an industry level, you've got people are dealing with far less amount of information. Um, yeah. So they might know what mother cows it came out of. And so, what sort of which issues is, do you, you know? What sort of issues come up with data ownership for you? Uh, look, it's look data. Uh, we've we've always managed to navigate a fairly clear path on that. Like data ownership, it's the the legal the legal standpoint's fairly clear. The person who authored it owns it, unless there's an agreement to um, to share it or change the ownership. So whoever authors the data is the owner of it. We've always maintained that. So all of our clients author their data and they own it and we have the, the um, privilege of looking after it for them. So yeah. we've and never that's... tried to lay claim to data or anything like that. Do you have any right to have, to have a look at the data generally and uh, conclude trends and things across the whole yep. lot? Yeah, we, we maintain that sort of in our, in our people who've got data with us, we, um, you know, we maintain a, a right to analyse it anonymously for the for the for the benefit of the greater good of the of our client base. Yeah. Um, so, a bit like but, a bit the way the way Google does it for their um, advertising um, royalties. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, we don't. Have, we haven't. I don't think we've ever commercialised any outcome from our clients' data that they are, they are unaware of, um, nor would we ever want to. 
Yeah, so just to make this quite clear to listeners that, you know, it's not on an individual basis. It's um, So there's no... Uh, there's no knowledge of whose the data it is. It's just ge- generally used to see trends and changes across the yes, whole collective. Yes, yeah. we did some analysis. Which is, which is completely when we, harmless. You know, yeah, yeah. We wanted to find out if lamb growth rates had changed in 20 years. So we analysed all the lamb information we had in the database to see if we could spot any sort of significant trend. Yeah. Um, like which was very hard to do. Um, yeah. So, you know, sometimes we, we do things like that, um, but it's never, we never um, would use anybody's data because some third party came to us. That's, that's not in our DNA. So the, um, so the trick of doing something like that is that you actually need the birth date, don't you? Yes, need the birth date. People don't realise how of critical birth date is. Yeah, if we could find a solution to get a birth date on animals, um, even if it's to within a month of accuracy, if there was some universal knowledge pool that, you know, you could go and f- you get an NLIS tag and go and find the birth date of an animal, that would make um, analysis of carcass data a whole lot easier because age is one of your key variables um, in carcass data quality. And especially when you're dealing with animals who have been traded a few times, people lose track of when they were born. These all, you know, they autumn drop, spring drop, early, late, whatever. Um, So that, you know, so with carcass data analysis, the age of the animal has a a huge, huge influence. So if we could think of some magic way of knowing what the birth date of an animal is, that would be great. Well, it's not there yet. I mean, there's lots of, you know, they're even using... Um, a bit of um, DNA research stuff. It's a very difficult thing to do. You know, it's any sort of way of getting the farmer to record it is, is they'd perceive that as an impost or... But even if we get a month of birth, yeah, so you can sort of start really fine-tuning the data. If a farmer has to do it, they've got to put a... Ta- you know, they've got to record when the mother was seen having the... Ch- you know when the mother was first seen with a newborn yes and then you've got to tag that newborn mother it up. and then mother it yeah. up um, yeah. or do what we do and tag it at birth but you can't expect commercial people to do you know that's just not a no, practical thing to not, do in a commercial herd not not practical at all yeah all right. so yeah so car- you know there's everywhere you turn with carcass data there's you know um, the it's hard you know, it's hard to get hold of the data. It's hard to analyse it. It's hard to know what you're benchmarking it against. It's hard to know... Who owns it? Um, <laughs> yeah, who owns it? What's the comparison of? Um, you know, are you comparing apples with apples? Or, you know, it could be very easy to reach some fairly, um, you know, what, what might appear to be conclusive evidence, but could be quite misleading. And the other old age-old problem is also that um, the carcasses aren't centrally cut because they're processed on a on a production line or on a chain. Um, yes. You know, all the rumps come off and go into the same um, tray of that particular um, cohort of animals or, or, or batch of animals that are going through. So yeah. you lose that individual um, for measuring yeah. things like yield anyway. 
Yeah, definitely for things like yield. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I, even yields go to that next level, even just dealing with the NSA chiller assessment data. Rob, I don't often hear about your AFL football team, but I am hearing a little bit about it from you at the moment because um, Carlton run above Geelong on the ladder. What the hell's going on there? <laughs> yes, well, the uh, new, newly rejuvenated interest in AFL. I've been to uh, four or five games this oh, season. Oh, really? I've been, I've, yeah, I've been to... I've even actually managed to make the trip down to Marvel Stadium in Docklands a few times with the kids. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we're all bloody... Come creeping out of the cupboard after our last, you know, twenty years of being completely awful and depressing. Yeah, the so, AFL machine throws out some lollies to everyone now and again, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been absolutely, yeah, we were yeah, going oh. through a rough spot for twenty oh. years, and uh, yes, yeah, very proud Carlton supporter at the moment. Good on you. I was ha- happily dormant for fifteen years. All right, so, let's move on. Yes. That's enough. Righto. <laughs> we always finish off with um, the three M's. Right. So what mistakes have you made? <laughs> yeah, <I don't, clears throat> it's an awkward question, Tom. I don't... I, don't, I had tried to have a think about this because I have listened to your other podcasts and, um, yes, not... Yeah, I don't know. I think life is... Uh, probably a long rolling evolution of mistakes um, and all you can do is just hope you don't make the same mistake again hope, I, um, hope. <laughs> yeah well if we do make them again and make them repeatedly then that's probably a demon that you need to grapple with yeah. um, and, um, so yeah. I don't want to I don't want to start unpacking my demons here Tom no, could, we don't want could that go either. on for days no, we don't what about you? What about some um, masterpieces? Uh, masterpieces, yes. Um, look, I'd have to say probably one of the things I'm really happy with is this EMBD system we built for Colts. Um, you know, working with the team there, Steve, Rennie, Coles, um, you know, we we really, I think, have come up with something that can really drive some change in the industry. Um, if we can get a few more organisations who can think along the same lines, um, you know, really sort of we solved quite a few technical problems as well as, um, you know, got a good product out there that seems to be um, easily adopted by their, by their supply chain. Um, you know, we had to dovetail in all of the Coles requirements with the industry ENVD platform, which was, um, you know, continuously being changed and updated and still to this date. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think in terms of, you know, culmination of, you know, working in this space for in IT for... 15, 20 years, I think that's probably one of the one of the best things we've done. And um, mentors? Yeah, look, concept of mentors, yeah, not, not really something that I've had in my mind. Um, I certainly don't know anyone that would probably admit to being my mentor. 
Um, but I do find inspiration and motivation, you know, in many sort of different areas. Um, and people, you know, I sort of try and take little tidbits from here and there from what I learn. Um, you know, I think uh, I'm, you know, in a very lucky position in the, in the business that I've set up in, uh, in the stage of the livestock industry where uh, we're often dealing with um, leading edge or bleeding edge thinkers in, in livestock, such as yourself, Tom. Um, you know, really trying to, you know, you know, turn up their business or turn up their livestock enterprise and they often come to come to us to see what we can do for them. So, um, you know, every one of our customers um, would fall into that into that category and I take every conversation I have with them, I'll be taking stuff away just as much as I'm hopefully imparting knowledge on them. Um, so... Um, so I think, you know, all, all of our customers, um, I would have to say that I get inspiration from. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. And, um, That's know, all right. Sapien's doing some great stuff for the, for the livestock industry. And um, thank you very much for your contribution that you're making. If anyone out there's, you know, interested in having a look at products, the cool products certainly do deliver on um, on what they say they will do. And uh, we've been using cool products since that, uh, just shortly after when I met you at that Beef Expo at Hamilton. Yes, Beef Expo in 2000 and whatever it was, four or five, Tom. Good on you. All right. Thanks, Tom. The Raw Ag Podcast is a collaboration between Tamani Angus and the Ace Radio Network. If you're enjoying the Raw Ag podcast, make sure you leave a review or rate us on your favourite podcast app.